Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water and Water Life Science. I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center, and many, many years ago, I decided that I wanted to study the behavior of the human body water. We'd heard forever that water is so important to our health and to what we needed to learn to be to think about enough water a day to drink. And understanding the water on the planet Earth. And then I ran into something way back, the water vapor of the atmosphere. They keep us alive. Earth began with water. It should be the number one commodity effort to protect water forever. Every continent, every country here in the United States to get the water to be the priority. Our forefathers knew without the water, there is a trouble. You can't live without it for the economy and for individual health and health does affect the economy, as you're finding with the pandemic. We're learning a lot about health issues. And I've said for years, this show is 13 years later. I started this show for health education to bring scientists and, and scholars and physicians and authorities in to discuss like you're listening to eavesdropping into a laboratory of research with my studies and my research and what I've learned and those that are teaching us what they've learned with their degrees of education and specialties that they've been learning. What education does is it reminds you. It's a reminder of something you could learn. Now, I want you to think about the pandemic Getting back to work for all these companies. Getting back to school for the student. Our children have to be in school. They'll get lose their confidence if they get behind. And it's just like anything else. If you keep in training and you keep practicing and you keep rehearsing, you keep improving. But what's happening now with our children, they're not able to keep in training, practicing, and rehearsing for their individualities. We've got to stop and think about them. In fact, every single day we do everything should be what's the priority for the what's best for all children. Health education with this pandemic is vital to all the children and their health and their communities. They're at the mercy 
of the, uh, everybody else. It's adults, older. So what they can't do yet, they can't get involved yet, they have to leave it to those that seem to know more and had learned more. Health education is priority right now. We must learn to wash our hands. We always should have been, but now forever. Keeping them sanitized. Wearing a mask now. Because you're learning, it's the spit from the tongue saliva that's carrying the virus. If you should have it, even though you haven't had any real symptoms, but you might be a carrier and you didn't know it, the education is wear a mask. That's why. Nobody's going to force you. You need the education to think about what's good best for everybody around you. The other one is the eye is a carrier. It it picks up on it. It doesn't put out the virus, but it will, if the immunity of the eye is weak and the eyes are dry, and that 99% tear film on the surface of the eye is dry and has immunity weaknesses because it's that tear film that gives you your immunity strength in the eye to protect you from the problems of the air and viruses. If that immunity of the eye is weak, you would be susceptible to maybe the virus. You need to learn your immune system. What is most important for you and your diet and drinking a lot of water? It's very important. And do not be bothered about visiting the powder room in the bathroom commonly. It detoxifies you. It's very important to you. Education is vital. I'm suggesting to those going back to work Have a health education class every day for about 15 minutes in your workplace. Make a habit of it so people have habits and they go home with habits. With the school system, all the education of health education classes before everything begins every day. Don't take it for granted. The rehearsal, it's a rehearsal. It's like practicing an instrument, a piano, your sport, whatever it may be, getting ready for a spelling bee to remind yourself of what you need to learn. It's simple and very, very respectful to the individual to be educated at work, at school, and maybe home. So that everybody's habits begin to go forward. Because I have a feeling this is not going to be the last rodeo. You're going to have more problems in the future to deal with your health and viruses to come. 
So we're learning. Let's all do it together. And as we do it together, that'll make the economy grow. And that economy is what the show's all about today. I invited somebody back on the show that I had some time ago, Andrew Sherman. I was very impressed with the book he put out years ago about harvesting intellectual property values. Our country had not really understood everybody out there in the world what intellectual property values are. And I knew that. So I invited Andrew on at the time. He had a book that was just unbelievable. So when I brought him on, the idea was to educate you about intellectual property values and the Constitution and what happened through the years for the United Nations to protect IP. And other countries got into it besides the United States. It was in our Constitution to be able to protect intellectual property values for economies, your city, your county, your state, and build up a a really exciting economy. And I'll just go back to the children again. To it for the children of the communities, for their, for their confidence, the growth of the community, and satisfaction. It is very important. So there's more than just the word intellectual property value that goes with that description. And we're going to discuss that with him today. I'm very impressed with this. And I think he's the best on the planet to do this because we all want to get back to work. We want to get our schools back into play again and get those kids back to getting confidence in themselves and getting them rehearsing their, what they've been studying to do. We'll listen to our sponsor first. Nature's tears I missed. The surface of your eye is 99% water. That is your immune strength of your eye to protect you from the problems of the air and viruses. As I taught you, the spit on the tongue, the saliva is a carrier. If you touch that and you happen to be a person who could be susceptible and you touch the organ of the eye, and the immune system of the eye is weak at the moment, you could possibly get the virus. Nature's Tears Eye Mist was put on the market years ago as a technology to be able to protect the organ of the eye and supplement that water in the eye to be able to give you an immune strength. That's what it was put on the market for technology for. It's the only product like it in the world. And it works for dry eye, unbelievable. Goes along with your eye drops and all your refractive eye surgeries. Just beautiful. No allergic reaction. You can mist as often as you want all day long. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Miss, and we'll be back with Andrew. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Audience, I was going to, I'm going to introduce you today to Andrew Sherman. Andrew focuses his practice on issues affecting business growth for companies at all stages of, of their intellectual property values, building, and technology. I'm going to let him tell us more because I am impressed. Years ago when he had a book come out, I bought many of them and gave them away. Andrew, are you with us? I'm here. Great to be back on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you because I know how busy you are. Now that you're with an attorney firm, you want to tell the audience about what you, where you're at, what you're, where you're going, and how you got where you're at today because you sure took a stand on um, an issue that is so important called intellectual property values and, and affected, that affects our businesses. Uh, sure. I, I'm happy to give the medium-length version of that, and if you've got more questions or the audience has more questions, we can hit them. Um, I'm a senior partner at a firm called Seifarth Shaw, Cyparth Shaw is about 925 lawyers or so around the globe. Um, I've been there uh, over four years as a senior partner. I'm kind of in the corporate department, but I do a lot of um, IP transactional and strategy work around uh, licensing, co-branding, business format franchising. Um, As you know, I wrote a book a few years ago uh, among 26 others that I've written uh, but probably my most popular book was a book called Harvesting Intangible Assets. And in that book, I uh, observed the gross uh, underutilization of intellectual property as a strategic asset across not only corporate America, uh, but, you know, global companies around the world. I mean, we are still uh, very doing a very poor job taking inventory of our intellectual property assets, 
and commercializing those intellectual property assets to drive what's most important, shareholder value and global good. And um, I know that's going to be the focus of our show, uh, but, you know, we are at a very interesting intersection in our society in the middle of this COVID-19 and other things going on. And uh, I think where you and I are definitely violently aligned is uh, how important this issue can be in both the short, medium and long term. Yeah, I'm glad you just said the word long term. That's something that I noticed. Now, I, 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 um, I'm going to remind you of how I, when I started my research center many years ago, my brother was an MBA from Wharton, an economist back east, and he taught me IP from the gate, out the gate. And you know what I found, Andrew, with it? I found that I kept my mind on building a long-term business by focusing on uh, including intellectual property values, not just the word selling. And uh, what's happening out there is I've noticed that unless they're a uh, founder, <clears throat> the founders concentrate on long-term value. I call them other people on contract don't always think about long-term value because in the contract they have a commission on bonus on sales. Well, so they start pushing sales before IP. Right. Right. And can I just add one more thing? You know, we, I think you and I have talked about this on prior shows together. Um, You know, the, the companies with the greatest resources are typically publicly held companies. Publicly held companies have to report their earnings on a quarterly basis, and Wall Street judges them on how they performed quarter to quarter. It is completely incongruent with long-term innovation, and we're finally seeing companies like Apple and Tesla and Google and Amazon saying, look, we're going to long-term innovate in certain areas, whether Wall Street likes it or not. And we think that's going to not only drive, you know, short-term performance, but long-term innovation. And the markets are rewarding those companies for being that bold. But we need more companies willing to stand up to the regimen of quarterly reporting and say, look, we're going to make long-term investments in our people, in our culture, in our leadership, in our intangible assets. And no, that may not result in the best earnings per share per quarter but it will result in long-term enterprise value. And, and until we fix that, you know, we're never going to get the level of innovation. Uh, the only exception that rule lately seems to be uh, dropping everything to R&D around a vaccine, which, of course, the whole world is waiting for. But why can't we apply that same energy and gumption uh, to other areas of important innovation like climate change and water conservation and other things that I know are near and dear to your heart? Right. Uh, um, and the other thing I have, Andrew, that I think about today, too, I want to talk to you about, is something that I've noticed. I'm 78 years old, and I remember after World War II, Andrew, I was just a toddler, but I can remember my grandfather. We lived with him until my father came home from World War II, and um, he, was, he had a company. 
an insurance company, a loan company, Pete Pritchard. He built a company uh, that would be for what's good for everybody in the community, too. And what was going on with every single individual in the community was to develop a community that was good for everyone to help each other. If you needed help to build the barn, nobody judged how big the, the barn would be compared to somebody else's barn. People got together and all of a sudden came chamber of commerce and rotaries and to develop these companies and help these businesses grow. Then all of a sudden you start seeing through the years more barber shops, more beauty salons, more uh, masseuses, all these small little businesses. And then here came restaurants, more of them. And you find them in the community, what it did for the community to build the economy and the intellectual property value of the whole community. So I look at EIP as is important to the suburb, the city, the county, and the state, Andrew, as much as I do for the whole United States of America per state. Remember in the old days when they competed per state? It's because they were developing yes, an economy. Right. To do so. But here's, here, here's the, the main difference, and, and this supports your point, not distracts from your point. And that is back in the days of your grandfather, and I agree with everything you said about the culture and, and our ability to work as a community, and we can come back to that in the context of all of the social unrest that we're experiencing. But here's the key point that I want all of your listeners to really digest and understand. In the days of our grandfathers and the days of our grandmothers, um, the company balance sheet was much more typical. You had inventory, you had equipment, you had real estate, you had uh, machinery, you know, you had all kinds of hard assets. And the average small business, medium-sized business, and large business, their, their net worth was tied up in those physical assets that you could touch and feel. You know, and then That's if true. they had a little bit of value attached to brand or relationships or channels, that was thrown into a little bucket, typically under 5% of the net worth of the enterprise called goodwill. Dial forward today. And we are now in an era where that has completely flip-flopped. You know, now we have companies like Google, Amazon, Apple, Tesla, you know, some of the biggest cap companies in the world who have the opposite ratio. If you study their balance sheets, they have about 5% in server farms and computers and desks and chairs and real estate and 95% in this notion of intangible assets. You know, intellectual property is one category of, of intangible assets, but there are non-intellectual property categories. I mean, relationships and trust and collaboration and governance and culture uh, are all very, very important uh, intangible assets, but they probably can't be protected by intellectual property law. And ironically, they appear nowhere on a company's balance sheet. And I just don't see that trend 
you know, reversing itself anytime soon to you. I mean, you know, we're going to live not. in an era I do not. by 2030, you know, by 2030, where most companies, their primary drivers of enterprise value, you won't be able to touch or feel or see or account for. And our accounting systems need to change. Our banking systems need to change. Our, our attitudes towards these things need to change. And, and thank God for your radio show because, you know, we'll be on the phone in 2030 when you're 88 and we'll be talking about this and we'll still be <laughs> screaming out for more change. So, uh, well, what, I, what I I'm like with what you. you just said, an accounting system, the CPAs need to have in their school system a new, new higher education about understanding what can be. And then the banks need to also be operating with their managements thinking about that future. Now, intellectual property values for the communities, but the whole country of America should be thought out too, because it's no different than going to the Super Bowl to me, Andrew. Uh, when you go to the Super Bowl, you're going to have your plays that are going to be confidential. Your IP values to those plays are going to be confidential. You're going to be practicing, rehearsing, disciplining those plays. And they're going to be confidential IP values to whether you win or lose. It also goes down to the behavior of the team and the quarterback, how they play with the quarterback, follow the quarterback. If they don't follow the quarterback or vice versa, help out each other there, there's going to be an IP value that may not get to that goalpost to get to that right, touchdown. Let me, let me share a very interesting update on that metaphor because the metaphor is beautiful and I support it 100%. Um, I don't know if you watched any of the XFL games before COVID hit, but they were very interesting. Um, I understand The Rock just bought the, the XFL. Uh, it was announced today. The XFL broadcast the plays for the public to listen in on. And I thought at first, like a football fan, like you just said, oh, my God, what are they doing? You know, the other team's going to hear the play. And the XFL's attitude was they'll have to deal with it and make adjustments to how they play football accordingly. And I think there's a real metaphor in that. You know, it's getting to a point with open source software and other things where even your secret playbook may soon become public thanks to social media and open source software and you're going to have to find other ways uh, to be competitive. It reminds me of the music industry when, um, you know, when Napster and LimeWire and all that first came out and all the musicians were complaining about lost revenues. They all went on tour. They all started selling more merchandise. They all realized until iTunes came along that they were going to have to not be passive. They were going to have to be proactive. And more right. and more of all of our secret sauces are being exposed and our playbooks are being exposed. And so we're going to have to find new forms of IP. Maybe it's AI, maybe it's data, you know, maybe it's uh, processes and systems or and protocols. But, uh, right. Andrew, algorithm. Exactly. But, but, but staying in your metaphor, you know, how does, how does a football team win a game if their playbook was handed to the other side two days before the game? You know, that sounds horrible to every football fan in America, every football fan in America. But, you know, it's it's a business and social metaphor 
for where things are going. You know, could you still win the game if your playbook was posted online for the world to see three days before the, the match? I'm a believer, Andrew, in the secret sauce. And I'll tell you oh, why, as the founder of a company and a, bio, and a research center, is as I'm studying and I'm doing what I do, uh, which is the only company research center in the world studying the behavior of the water's evaporation of the human body, living with the evaporation of the water vapor, the atmosphere, like a battery. And what is happening with the planet, Earth, and its relationship to what the other two I just said. Now, as I study that, and I understand that I want to compete in the world before I get all the secret sauce out, so as I compete with what I do for my investors and my research so that nobody undermines and tries to take shortcuts because I'm not a shortcut, sadly, I'm not a shortcut person. I like no, to you're also right. a long-term thinker. You're a long-term thinker, which is what I've always respected about you. And, you know, we have to get out of shortcut and short-term thinking if we're going to get on the other side of the four or five well, that's major, where major prices that's that where face you're the in a, right. That's where your exactly. intellectual property value um, focuses is at, Andrew. Because but when you get I'll your you mind one. on that, it, it all of a sudden disciplines we founders. It puts us in, um, yeah. in heads of companies. It disciplines us. But I'm a believer of secret sauce. I am too. I will say one thing for your listeners. I think you'll appreciate this story. Um, You know, one of the favorite movies I had when I was a teenager was called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, And I saw it the other day playing again on HBO or Showtime or one of the channels. And there's a great scene in Fast Times from Ridgemont High that's very instructive. Um, Two kids both work at the mall at these competing um, fast food places. And the one kid says, you know, I'll tell you our secret sauce if you tell me yours. And he said, well, I, I can't tell you our secret sauce. That would, you know, he said, oh, come on, come on. Just tell me your secret sauce. And finally he says, uh, well, it's, it's ketchup, mayonnaise, and relish. And the other kid says, that's our secret sauce. And <laughs> it, it, it's always struck me because there are businesses and, and entrepreneurs and leaders of companies that think they're on to some really, really secret sauce. And if it's not, if it's, if it's widely known and used by others, then it's obviously not so secret. So um, I believe in the secret sauce, the principle of the secret sauce as a, as a source of competitive advantage, but don't be like the emperor's new clothes. You know, don't, don't think you have a secret sauce when it's not so secret and when everybody else in the industry is using the same ingredients of what you perceive to be your secret sauce. You know, one you can thing I have very... with that one, the one thing I have with that one, though, uh, uh, Andrew, they don't study water. They don't study water oh, no, no, no. as a behavior I, I'm not, of life. I'm not saying. <laughs> exactly. No, no. Your secret sauce, I think, is truly little... secret. And uh, yes, because you are focused on a, a very important niche. But what I'm, I'm trying saying... to do... Yes. For your listeners in general terms. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Be realistic about what's really secret and what's not so secret. 
especially now, in this world. Let's go back to algorithm. So transparent. Um, yep. Yeah, I want to ask you about algorithm as a con- as what to do today. I've noticed, you know, patents have always been a big deal forever, ever since they invented the word patent. And it's real good to protect the sales, especially um, research going on. If you're doing some research and you needed to learn your IP values and protect those while you're developing um, your your company's business, especially with IP that patent protection. But today, the, I think, and you can tell me, algorithm, if you don't understand the behavior of your own algorithm as you're hitting that keyboard and representing that keyboard to go out to the world with your, uh, company, with your brand, let's say, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because people, and and the the thing is, they've got to realize that value is vital to everything that people go looking for today. I don't care if it's a nail, a ball bearing, or what it is. It could be the next hamburger. It could be the secret sauce of something that somebody's using. People are turning to their algorithm to find out that. At the shelf, driving in the car, wherever. What is your thinking on algorithm? No, algorithm is one of the hottest areas of IP, absolutely no doubt. Um, it's an area that is probably underprotected. Um, it's, it's not only applies yep. you know, to uh, big data and data mining, but, but how the softer assets of the future will be determined. Um, you know, the algorithms that drive so many of the functions and the apps that, that have become commonplace for us need to be better protected. My favorite is when algorithms are coupled uh, or, or, or joined or paired with brands, recognized brands, because, you know, I've always felt that if you have a very powerful brand and a protected algorithm, you know, you, you can rule the world. I mean, um, many there of the go. largest cap companies in the country, in the world, um, uh, their core, their, at, at, their, at their core uh, enterprise value is the combination and the power of consumer recognition. It's almost like a restaurant. You know, you go in based on the reputation of the restaurant and the ambiance and the treatment that you get from the maitre d' and the waitstaff, and that's the brand. And then the back half of the restaurant where all the sausage is made and the food is prepared, that's your algorithm. The algorithm is running the back end of the restaurant, and brand is running, and experience is running the front end of the restaurant. And if, if all business owners, whether you're in the restaurant business or not, can think of their companies in that way, you know, what's the front end of the shop that's brand, that's reputation, that's experience, it's, uh, it, it's uh, social media and digital assets, all of those things. The back end is the software and the algorithms and the systems and the processes that make things go. And um, so if you can combine those two things. So going on to compete. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to have a very successful a company if you can We're do both. We're going to take our only... 
We're going to take our only break, and then we're going to come back, and you're going to tell us what you think that we need out of this show today to be able to find the value of what you've been learning in, um, during this COVID-19 yeah. for our we companies and our businesses. We also need to talk about the challenges to the innovation process in COVID-19. So let's come back to that after the break. Okay. Okay. I'll let you do that. Okay. We're listening to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist for immunity, strength, and protection of the organ of the eye. Yes, it will supplement and give you what that's 99% water requires like no other product can do. We'll listen to our sponsor with just a myth. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Audience, today we have Andrew Sherman on as a guest, and he's world-known at what he's been doing and really concentrating on the asset of intellectual property values. Andrew, before we took our break, you talked about some things you'd like to bring to our focus. Uh, You can start out with the one you think is important to you and go on to the next one. Well, I just saw a data point come across CNN during our break. Um, Over 50%, over 50% of our population is over 40 on the globe, over 50%. So keep that in mind with what I'm about to say. Um, we are in a crisis of innovation in the middle of this global pandemic because, because while so much of the innovation process requires to ideate, to collaborate, to innovate, you know, us being in a room together picking up on each other's intangibles and body language and facial expressions and, 
and just, you know, uh, metaphysical energy that happens when everybody's in a room and, and in the right mindset to innovate and ideate and create. And I'm worried that until we as a society adjust to the Zooms and the Microsoft Teams, and even though, listen, I, I give all of those platforms the highest credit. I don't know where I'd be right now in my legal practice without GoToMeeting and Zoom and, and uh, Microsoft Teams and all of those collaboration tools have kept me productive. But I still say, as a member of the over 40 crowd, because I'm closer in age to you than I am to, to the 20s and 30-somethings, uh, I still say there is no substitute for being in person. And all this work from home that COVID-19 has created I think is cutting deeply into our ability to collaborate and innovate. And I don't think it's permanent. I think we will learn, we will adapt. Even us uh, 59-year-olds like this guy is learning how to innovate and, and uh, collaborate using platform technologies. But I'm still old school and I still want to be in a room and I want to look you in the eye and I want to I see you know, to, to really get the best ideation and the best uh, collaboration, I, I, I want to be in the room sweating it out and, and whiteboarding and doing all kinds of cool things that I'm used to for the last 40 years of innovating. And um, I well, think we're, you know, uh, we're you in know for a decline. What you just said, so uh, Andrew, is algorithm too. If you go back yes. into the jungle of our beginning of time, at the beginning of a caveman. When they first heard the rain come down, and they were listening, they picked up on something. All of a sudden, somebody touched um, a log, and it made a sound. Yeah, All of a sudden came sounds, and, and then they noticed behavior in each other. An algorithm means, like you just said about the restaurant, what goes out in front is the algorithm from behind. And that began way before a keyboard. Then you've got today now. I agree with you. That's why I'm for getting a new innovation, new inventions to getting people back to school, back to work. Exactly. Back to school, back to work, uh, back to -to face-to-face. I mean, look, my children are 30 and 28. They will learn to innovate uh, and collaborate to the maximum level of productivity via online tools. They're already better at it than I am or you are or any of our generation will ever be. But we are in for a short-term drop in innovation and the, the creation of intellectual assets I think until we all adjust and it's going to take longer than three, four months of working from home. And the other thing is, you know, the, the interruptions that a barking dog and a screaming kid or five screaming kids and three barking dogs, you know, a lot of my colleagues have said this work from home thing's great, but uh, I don't have time to think, you know, there's too much noise in my house. And, and you know, that, if you take that and you multiply it by the millions and millions of millions of people that are either out of work or working from home or working under some modified schedule, you got to figure that's going to cut into the GDP. It's going to cut into our innovation. 
we will recover from it. I'm, I'm still very optimistic, but um, I, I, I know I sound awfully old school with this comment, but I think it's COVID-19 is impacting the innovation process in ways that we're not talking about and the politicians aren't talking about and CNN and the pundits aren't talking about. Only you and I are talking about. And it's, um, it's a very important issue. And I've not seen a single pundit bring it and, up. You know, that's you know, where they've got to get these kids back to school and get these kids thinking that way. <clears throat> these students need to keep rehearsing, practicing, and rehearsing their own outlook on life, their own visions, their own thinking. Give them individuality. The individuals well, at, and their businesses exactly. down the street, whether it's those beauty parlors and those small, little, tiny mama and papa restaurants that make up what goes on with the algorithm of the whole community and the behavior and what goes on and the and all the contribute well, all that is contributed. Well, and also think about how many research projects have been impacted by the inability to get into a lab or the inability to uh, go back to school, yes. or the inability for professors and their interns to interact. I mean, tens right. of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. Right. It's probably in the millions. Right. I mean, you millions. know, so you've got to, you've got to be ready for a short-term drop in productivity, in innovation, in the creation of intangible and intellectual property. But, but hopefully it will rebound and hopefully we'll be on the other side of it soon. But it's definitely an area, you know, I know we've got some other things to cover before the top of the hour, but it's an area I at least wanted to mention for the consideration of your listeners. Now, what do you want to go on to the next one uh, for the listeners to think about? Sure. Was there, you, uh, did you have something else that you oh, no. want to prioritize? Oh, no, no, I, I just, I, well, there was okay. one thing that you mentioned at the top of the show. Um, I'll address it real quick, and then please, uh, you mentioned before the break one or two other areas you wanted to cover uh, before we're out of time. Uh, but this issue of globalness, you know, intellectual property, as we've talked about on prior shows, even though there are things like the Madrid Protocol and other attempts to regionalize intellectual property, you know, Madrid Protocols for Trademarks and Brands, uh, the Berne Convention for Copyrights, um, you know, these are helpful tools, but, you know, we are in a, in a sort of nationalism trend that, can, that concerns me, and many intellectual property laws, including patent laws, are very around the borders of nations. We do not have the harmonization and, and synchronicity and alignment uh, that we need on a global level. We're living in a global economy. We're very interacting with each other, um, but our intellectual property laws and even our cultural attitudes uh, and differences in the way we view intellectual property varies from culture to culture. You know, some cultures, the United States culture, as you mentioned at the outset of the show, was driven on innovation and entrepreneurship. Our founding fathers wrote it into the Constitution. That's how strongly they felt about it. Um, but not every country is based, uh, you know, in, including China, uh, quite obviously, uh, is based on that notion that the inventor of the intellectual property should have every right to exploit that intellectual property for commercial gain. Um, and there's a lot of policy issues that need to be 
uh, harmonized if we're ever going to have truly global intellectual property laws. So I hope that's also my prayer, that by the time we get on the show together in 2030, um, we're talking about a, a whole new, forgive the pun, but a whole new world of uh, more global themes around intellectual property laws, because otherwise our ability to do business around the globe will be jeopardized, and it is one well, of the key pirating. tension points between right. U.S. and China. Right. I call them pirating. And that's why Absolutely. I believe in the secret sauce. Now, the other one is back to uh, the other countries of the world and China, is uh, people have to realize, now we're going to go back to my Super Bowl game. Every country is in the business for their economy and should be. They should be. And we've got to be competitive with how we operate with our intellectual property value, all the way down to the communities, the suburbs, what we're doing here. And there's for our economy, too. And to protect it, I wanted to ask you about copyrights. Now, on the Internet, when you're, <clears throat> you've, you can't protect your registered trademarks, really, on the Internet. You can't, there's a lot that's not legal yet. But with copyrights, what is it on the Internet to kind of protect the uh, IP values of what you're doing to communicate out there with your algorithm? Do you have any protection rights? Well, you do. Copyright, as you know, has been the technological workhorse of intellectual property. You know, copyright and our ability to replicate and to download and to disseminate has been keeping copyright laws busy for 300, 400 years ever since the printing press. The problem is, is that we are now in such an advanced form of replication, downloading, and dissemination, that copyright law, both domestically and around the world, has have had trouble keeping up. I mean, think about it. You know, when the Internet first came online and you were trying to download a song, you would start around 10 o'clock in the evening, and if you woke up that morning and the song was downloaded, you thought, oh, my God, that's success. Now, if that song was Stairway to Heaven and 12 minutes long, you might have to wait two days to download the song. We can now download an entire band's, you know, library in, in seconds. And the, and, and, and the speed of dissemination is getting faster and more powerful by the day, mm-hmm. um, not to mention the advent of the cloud. And so we need to closely examine copyright law in the context of the technology uh, that the Internet and the cloud and, and server technology now provides to figure out how is copyright law going to keep up with that speed of dissemination and replication that the inventors of the printing press, you know, could have, could have only imagined what their invention, what radio and television and the advent of, of the web would, would do to challenge copyright law literally on a day-to-day basis. And so uh, it goes back to your secret sauce comment. The, the challenge to the secret sauce is social media and the transparent society that we are uh, growing into. And the challenge to copyright law has been this speed and ease of replication uh, that, you know, I, I've, I've never seen anything quite like it. I mean, even in places that have poor Internet connections, you can download 
more data, more information, um, you know, right onto your laptop or into your cloud than you ever could uh, even a short couple years ago. Yeah. Now that you're, we're only oh, got a minute left for your to be on. Um, what would you like for the audience to remember? What you've been focusing on for quite a while now, ever since you came out with a book on harvesting IP. What have you learned out there with everybody that you want to leave the audience with? I think we need to learn how to take greater inventory of our intangible assets. You know, it's so ironic to me that in this day and age. This digital age that we live in, most companies, and I don't mean just small companies or mid-sized companies or family-owned enterprises. I'm talking about the global Fortune 500 companies still cannot take adequate inventory of their intangible assets. Ironically, Sharon, they can tell you how many desks they have, how many chairs. They have little stickers on company-issued laptops or telephones. I mean, we're still doing a much better job figuring out how to take how to take inventory of the assets of very highly depreciated value and of little strategic meaningful value and we're not doing a very good job keeping inventory of the assets that drive true enterprise value and the irony of that in a digital age in 2020 you know an era of robotics and artificial intelligence and huge data and the cloud that we can't to this day figure out what our inventory of intangibles are. And until we do better at that, we're just going to keep talking about this over and over again until we get the message out. And, and, now, you know, I Andrew, am couldn't, couldn't the CPA, couldn't the, the CPAs in school be learning that part of their new education focus for the future to help? It, the country? It's part that it's the CPAs can, the AICPA can improve the standards and how we uh, physically take inventory and account for these assets on balance sheets. I mean, we're still reporting financial statements and balance sheets from, uh, from an economy stuck in 1940s. I mean, you know, we've not changed the balance sheet format in 50 years. And, and yet, it's well, no longer reflective of, of how companies should be measured from a value perspective. We're out of time, darn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> very oh, interesting shoot. conversation, as always. <laughs> oh, I really enjoyed it very much. I want to thank you for what you've done, and I want people to be looking for your book, Harvesting Intellectual oh. Property Value. Thank you. Uh, all of my books are on Amazon.com, and I... I welcome your listeners to check them out and enjoy them, and they make a great beach read for the summer. Okay, thank you. You have a nice time. God bless and be well. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks. Audience, I want to thank you for listening today. Put a child's heart in your hands. They're all perfect. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel, with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.